mass of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Good morning and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. Well, I had a wonderful time on my way too brief vacation in the San Juan de Cristo Mountains of New Mexico. They're the southernmost part of the Rocky Mountains. I don't find myself this morning feeling renewed and refreshed. I was with a group um, of women uh, that include a number of lawyers, um, Washington, D.C. lawyers. And just, you know, while we were enjoying our hikes on the steep trails and, and in the desert, high desert, the conversation inevitably did turn to politics, to the fundamentals of the Constitution, the fact that we are a republic rather than a direct democracy, and what does that mean, and what does it say when only 25% of college students today can correctly explain that statement? We talked about impeachment. We talked about the coming election and how the Democrats can set themselves up to lose again. But most of all, those lawyers and those of us still in the technology industry, we all, to a woman, had a a prescient sense about this coming 2020 election. This time, it's different. For me, that sense is not new, nor does it surprise any of you out there who regularly listen to either our live radio show or our podcast. I do think this coming election is different. And setting aside all that we know about the president's self-dealing in Ukraine. You know what? I can wait for all the open testimony to figure out what I really think about that whole mess. But I don't believe that President Trump's actions in Syria can be left to play out. What the president has done by greenlighting a Turkish assault on the Syrian Kurds and on Syrian sovereign territory is fraught with real-time, immediate, playing-on-your-nightly-news life-and-death consequences. Consequences the Turks intend for the Syrian Kurds and consequences that occur when American service personnel are in the middle of a military operation by a frenemy and allied enemies of the United States of America. Did you see the Facebook posts by Russian journalists moving into an abandoned American forward operating base, laughing and saying, so this is how the Americans live. 
on the nightly news. Shot. That, that was on Facebook? That was on Facebook. I missed that. Facebook allows anything. Doesn't even matter if it's true or not. But that one, unfortunately, sadly, was true. And on the nightly news, you saw shots of our own carrier-based naval fighter jets scrambling, scrambling, first to provide air cover for retreating Americans who were bracketed by shells from Turkish artillery. After, and that happened after Trump refused a Syrian Kurdish request for similar support in their retreat from the very same base. Then those American jets came back and bombed the evacuated American positions so that valuable war material and intelligence and high-technology equipment would not fall into Syrian or Russian hands. What a, what a concept. As though the Russians have not seen most of that equipment as tools of their new allies, that NATO member, Turkey. And as if risking the lives of our military personnel were not enough, the larger consequences, which are only beginning to emerge, will play out over years with potentially catastrophic consequences. President Trump, out of hubris or ignorance or just a fit of pique, has put everything Americans have fought and died for for the last 102 years since the United States finally was forced by the swirl of events to add, enter the First World War, the war that Woodrow Wilson called the war to end all wars. President Trump, out of hubris or ignorance or a fit of pique, has put everything Americans fought and died for at risk. But you don't have to take my word for it. Here, with all rights reserved to CNN and gratitude for their putting it on the net, is a three-minute conversation between Jake Tapper, who is no left-wing liberal, and Admiral William McRaven, explaining what compelled the Admiral's New York Times piece this past Thursday. The title of that opinion piece, The Republic is Under Attack from the President. That's quite a statement coming from Admiral McRaven, who is the former commander of Special Forces Operations, a Navy SEAL's SEAL himself. He oversaw the daring raid into Pakistan that captured and killed Osama bin Laden. He speaks for himself, but his words echo through the generation to which he and I both belong, the children of the greatest generation. And without commercial interruption, here is Admiral McRaven. Uh, Jake, first was that, you know, if you want to destroy an organization, any organization, you destroy it from within, you destroy it from without, and then what you do is you convince everybody that you're doing the right thing. So when you take a look at what the president has done, he's undermined the intelligence community, the law enforcement community, the Department of Justice, the State Department. He has called the press the enemy of the American people. And I will tell you, I've fought a lot of America's enemies. The press is not the enemy of the American people. Then you take a look at uh, undermining us from without. 
He's obviously left, uh, left our allies, the Kurds, on the battlefield. We feel like we have betrayed them. He's undermined uh, our NATO allies. He's taken us out of the JCPOA and the TPP. And, and really, the international community has lost faith in America. And then throughout the course of all of this, he's convinced us that he's doing it for all the right reasons. And I think that is really what is, uh, what is troubling. But if I can, the other part of the op-ed that I think is equally important is that I think Trump forgets that we are a nation of values, that we are not just transactional. He's a transactional president. He believes that it's only good if it is good for us. But he forgets that we're the same nation that fought Nazism and fascism and imperialism and communism and terrorism. And we did that not because it was just good for us, but because it was the right thing to do. And the men and women in the military and the intelligence community and the law enforcement community, those people, those Americans believe that these values are important. I don't believe the president fully understands that. And, and you write, uh, quote, if our promises are meaningless, how will our allies ever trust us? If we can't have faith in our nation's principles, why would the men and women of this nation join the military? And if they don't join, who will protect us? If we are not the champions of the good and the right, then who will follow us? And if no one follows us, where will the world end up? You really see it in, in that stark a view. You really see it as the United States is basically under President Trump, in your view, amoral, uh, not, not necessarily immoral, but amoral, and that could really have a devastating effect on the world. Yeah, as I've said a number of times before, Jake, I've had the, the privilege and the honor of working for a lot of presidents, and I didn't always agree with them, but I always believed that they were men of principle. They were trying to do what was right by the country. Uh, they didn't always get it right, but they were trying to do what was right. I don't see that in this president. And my point, and again, I will never speak for everybody in the military. That's not my intent. Uh, the individuals can speak for themselves. But I will tell you that I know what motivated me, and I can offer what motivated a lot of the people that worked for me, is the fact that we thought we were doing the right thing, that we believed in these values. We believed in the Constitution. We believed that we were a nation of laws. We believed in the First Amendment. We believed in universal rights. We believed that we were the good guys. And if we're no longer the good guys, it's going to be very difficult to inspire people to join any, the intelligence community, the military, any, any part of the federal government where those values are so critical to doing your job and to sacrificing for this country. Nor is Admiral McRaven alone in viewing the president's actions with concern. We'll be back in just a moment to talk more about those people. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. As I said before we went to break, Admiral McRaven is not alone in viewing the president's actions with concern. The Republican Party has always stood for a strong national defense, has always stood for alliances, has always stood for being the indispensable nation, has always stood proud, proud to be the good guys. So in the, in the moments following or the days following the president's green lighting of this Turkish invasion, Senator Lindsey Graham, whose shameless pandering to the president's vanity is now legendary. 
He called Trump's decision to greenlight a Turkish incursion into Syria the most screwed up decision I have seen since I've been in Congress. And Lindsey's been in Congress since the middle of the Clinton administration. So this is the fourth president he is serving under. That's quite a statement. It also proves that there is no such, that everything about Donald Trump is transactional. When you support him, you're his buddy. When you criticize him, you're the bad guy. Lindsay learned that lesson this week, although he did tell the New York Times several months ago that eh, he didn't really trust the president. So what makes Lindsay's comment most ironic um, is that his pandering was intended to guarantee that Graham would have influence in areas of foreign policy at moments like this. As I said, in a, in a profile done by the New York Times, he, uh, he did acknowledge that he doesn't fully trust President Trump. And he was right. His instincts were correct. But I have to ask, Lindsay, the Lindsey Graham I've known for many years, does John McCain come to haunt you nightly? That I told you so moment is coming one night in the near future to you. Because if John McCain were still alive, he would be leading the opposition to this incredibly short-sighted, inexplicable decision to greenlight a Turkish incursion into another sovereign nation. But I am even more heartened about the Republican Party I know and once was a part of. I'm heartened, even if I'm surprised, by Mitch McConnell's full-throated dissent from the president's actions and the president's words. In an opinion piece published in the Washington Post late this past Friday, McConnell did not hold back, saying, and I'm going to quote, withdrawing U.S. forces from Syria is a grave strategic mistake. It will leave the American people and homeland less safe, embolden our enemies, and weaken important alliances. Sadly, the recently announced pullout risks repeating Obama, the Obama administration's reckless withdrawal from Iraq. You know, I remind you periodically that those who do not re- read history are doomed to repeat it. That's my, my point. Now back to Senator McConnell. That withdrawal from Iraq, which facilitated the rise of the Islamic State in the first place. He goes on to say, since the 9-11 terrorist attacks, I have worked with three presidential administrations to fight radical Islamist terrorism. I have distilled three principal lessons about combating this complex threat. Lesson number one is the threat is real and it cannot be wished away. Second, there is no substitute for American leadership. And the third lesson is that we are not in this fight alone. Mitch McConnell, in my humble opinion, learned the correct lessons from the trauma of the last 18 years. 
and the sacrifices in blood and in treasure that we have made. I sometimes wonder if I was the only person who was listening in the months and years after 9-11 when President George W. Bush reminded us on numerous occasions that the war against Islamic extremism was not like the wars of our past. That this was a, and I quote, generational struggle, unquote, that would not, and again I'm going to quote him, that would not end in a surrender on the deck of a battleship, but with the extinguishing of an ideology. And that ends that quote. In the fight to extinguish an ideology, winning hearts and minds is much more important than holding specific pieces of high ground. We've enjoyed security at home because we had the hearts and minds of the Kurds in both Iraq and Syria. We and the Kurds have been partners for peace and democracy and self-determination since George H.W. Bush established a no-fly zone to protect them from Saddam Hussein in 1991. When the Yazidis were trapped on a mountainside in Iraq by murderous ISIS fighters, the United States provided air cover, while the Kurds chased ISIS from the mountain and rescued this small and ancient people. When it came time to drive ISIS from their so-called caliphate capital of Raqqa in Syria, it was the United States of America that provided the air cover, the logistical support, the training, and the overhead intelligence, while the Kurds did the deadly, dangerous, bloody house-to-house fighting. The Kurds trusted the United States of America to protect them from Turkey's Erdogan, who built a considerable portion of his political strength by attacking the ancient Kurdish population in Turkey. I'm not going to get into Kurdish politics, their their, their sense that they would like to have an autonomous state that would cover a little bit of Turkey, a little bit of Syria, a little bit of Iraq, you know, with a capital in Erbil. I'm not going to take a position there because, you know, I'm not an expert on the Middle East. I'm an American citizen, and I'm looking at this as an American citizen, as someone who believes we are the good guys. And so I'm going to say it is our solemn duty it is the, the, the Kurds trusted the United States of America to protect them from Erdogan. And it is our solemn duty to do so. Not with a nominal ceasefire to facilitate their removal from their ancestral home in northern Syria. What, what right do we have to demand that they live, leave their ancestral homes? but with a negotiated agreement that protects those homelands, even if it means that we must once again maintain a no-fly zone in that area. The United States Holocaust Museum, of which I am a member, stands as a constant reminder to the men and women of our armed forces who annually make a trip at the beginning of their academy careers to visit the Holocaust Museum so that they understand deeply and personally the horrors of ethnic cleansing and why no United States of America personnel can ever obey an order that supports such a policy. 
it's a matter of our national honor. It is also President Trump's solemn duty to do so because it protects the national security of the people of the United States of America. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about, no, we're not the policemen of the world. listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And I'm sorry, Syria is not something I had ever planned to talk about. I don't think we have a choice. So, as I said when we went to break, No, the United States is not the policeman of the world. That's that's a true statement on its face. But yes, the United States of America is the indispensable nation, the guarantor of a rules-based global order that has kept the winds of war from flaming out of control for nearly three-quarters of a century. Senator McConnell, in his op-ed, points to the lawless lands of Syria and Libya. Both of those revolutions, both of those civil wars, burst forth during the Obama administration, giving land and base and material and support and money to ISIS. And they both burst forth during the Obama administration, as what happens as an example, the senator says, of what happens when the United States leads from behind. And speaking of leading from behind, unless there is a forceful course correction in Washington just the next few days before Erdogan meets in Moscow with Putin to carve up Syria unless there's a forceful course correction, what can our allies in Afghanistan, in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Israel, in Iraq, in the Arab Emirates, in NATO, and CETO, think of the American commitment to them. Based on early reactions, They don't think much of that commitment anymore at all. In an effort to stem the diplomatic bleeding, uh, Nancy Pelosi took a bipartisan delegation to Jordan this weekend. I'm sure that's not her only stop. And speaking of NATO, let's talk about the NATO. Turkey is a member of NATO. And what we have just found out is there is no formal process for removing somebody from a nation from NATO. That was never thought that if you joined this alliance to maintain the peace and security and the self-determination of the Western democracies, that you would end up with a dictatorship intending um, on, on the death and destruction 
of hundreds of thousands, if not a million people. Nobody ever thought about that. So what do we do? Well, I know what I would do, but let's talk a little about what Turkey has done. Turkey is a NATO member that is bracketed with heavy artillery fire, United States uniformed military personnel serving under the, fly, the flying flag of the United States of America. They were actually shelled more than once. Turkey as a NATO member has ignored the ceasefire it agreed to brokered by its American NATO partner. There is no ceasefire effectively. A NATO member is on his way or their way to Russia this very week to negotiate a deal to carve up Syria with the tacit approval of the United States of America's president, if none of our European partners agree. And they don't. Turkey is at a crossroads. You're either on the side of the good guys or the sworn and acknowledged enemies of the good guys. And who might that be? Well, the Russians, the Iranians, the Chinese, all of whom are now looking at their opportunity in Syria. So here's another really important, immediate, and serious question about our NATO ally, Turkey. We have 50 tactical nuclear weapons guarded by a small contingent of American personnel at the Interlek Air Base in Turkey. What if Turkey decides to move completely to the dark side? It certainly looks like it's going that way. We can't bomb 50 tactical nuclear weapons to save them from falling in the wrong hands even if we can get the American guards out of harm's way without them being injured, any of them being injured or killed. I know I'm not the only person who's thinking the unthinkable what if. What if we have to get 50 nu tactical nuclear weapons out of Interlec? I'm just hoping that one of the patriots left in this administration or in the Pentagon is listening to what our military tells us about how to secure those weapons before it's too late. Can, what, can't we just kick uh, Turkey out of NATO? No, there's no provision to kick anybody out of, out of NATO because the people who created NATO did it in order, in order to strengthen and preserve this rules-based democratic self-determinant global order but it never it occurred so, it sounds it to me never like occurred it, so, to it sounds them. to me like they they aren't following the rules they're not following the rules so yeah, so they should be banned like i said if i were if i were you know if i were queen um i would i would say it's it's just like kicking russia out of the g8 you know, you you broke the rules and therefore we're going to disallow you. But that doesn't change the facts on the ground that there are 50, count them, 50 tactical nuclear weapons inside the borders of Turkey as we speak that belong to the United States of America on a base which U.S. fighter aircraft share with Turkish fighter aircraft while the 
while the Turks and the Russians install a Russian anti-missile system. This is craziness. And what a Lebanon and Israel and Jordan face when the United States buffer against the land-based supply line from Iran to Beirut runs through areas that we are helping Turkey to force the Kurds out of. I can only imagine, but I must have been one humdinger of a meeting between Pompeo and Netanyahu on Friday in Jerusalem. Pence didn't show up for the meeting, and Pompeo didn't even make a faint attempt to explain it to King Abdullah of Jordan. Now, Nancy Pelosi is there doing that. You know, it took me, I'm not going to tell you how many years, to, to find some redeeming features in Nancy Pelosi. But you know what? She's a patriot. We may not agree with her on policy, but she knows we're the good guys. And if we're not the good guys, hey, there are no good guys. That's not good for us. So let's just circle back to Ukraine for just a second. Let's forget all about the quid pro quo. Let's forget about Rudy and his diplomacy. Let's set aside this year's military aid for Ukraine. Let's forget the culture of corruption stories. When caught between Russia and the Trump administration, what sort of leverage does this young and inexperienced President Zelensky of Ukraine have? How, what, 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 what leverage does he have to negotiate an end to the hostilities that Putin's surrogates have forced on his eastern flanks? Well, based on this week's events, I'd say that Zelensky has leverage, well, just, just, just shy of zero. And from there, it's easy to imagine how uneasy NATO members, Estonia, Latvia, and Poland must feel, even with U.S. troops and missile batteries in their midst. What might they, might they also find themselves at the mercy of the Russians? How many enemies does one need when friends like the Trump administration, like this mercurial president of the United States, is your friend? And we'll be back in just a moment to talk a little bit more about who are our friends and our enemies these days. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. So I think it bears repeating. If you're one of those former Soviet bloc, now NATO members, you got to ask yourself, how many enemies does one need with friends like this mercurial president of the United States? How did Russia... The nation John McCain accurately describes as a a filling station, as in a gasoline station, masquerading as a country. How did they become so powerful in Eastern Europe, where the United States of America has held sway with the hearts and minds of millions for half a century? And then there is Saudi Arabia. Right after Putin, President Putin visited to make a trade deal with Saudi Arabia, President Trump announced that he is sending another 2,000 while he's withdrawing 
50 from the border between that have been protecting the Kurds security between the no man's land and Turkey. We had 50 troops. Okay, that was too many. Now we are sending 2,000 to Saudi Arabia. You know what the problem is? We can sell them missiles, but that doesn't mean that the Saudi Arabians really know how to use those missiles. So we have to send the troops now who do know how to use those missiles. What happens to those troops if Iran decides to spark a little more trouble in the Middle East with another drone attack against the Saudis? You know who will be in the middle? Our sons and daughters. How dangerous is this? How plausible is this? Very. What's the difference between the Kurds and the Saudis? According to President Trump, it's money. Let me repeat that. It's money. The Saudis, he says, are going to pay us. And I end that quote. United States Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, and Coast Guard personnel are, as Admiral McRaven points out, patriots. They are not mercenaries. So I ask, how dare you, President Trump? How dare you put national security at risk for payment. I don't know what more can be said, except that somewhere in the Congress of the United States, within the population of the United States, we got to find a way to turn this ship of state before it's too late. And before we see a human catastrophe on our nightly television broadcasts. Anybody got an idea of how we solve this problem? Um, kick them out of NATO. I would kick them out of NATO. You can, they, you can secure those, those uh, nukes. Uh, they're, no pretty, they're pretty deep into Turkish territory. I think you have to airlift them out. And and if I were if I were in charge of the Pentagon, if I were Secretary Esper, if I were the head of the Joint Chiefs, I'd be doing that right this very minute. I'd be acting in an anticipatory fashion. We're not going to end up in a low-level nuclear conflict um, in the Middle East um, in the next few months. And we can move those missiles safely to um, another proximate location somewhere in the Mediterranean area uh, without, um, without it risking national security or risking the lives of the people who are defending those missiles. And God help us. God help us. What if, what if Erdogan, who at this point sees himself with a very big green light, what if he decided to say, you're out? You know, this is a Turkish air base that we're using part of. They, they can chase us off any time. Um, yeah, so, I, think, I think we should just break up with them before they break up with us. Well, I think they've broken up with us. Yeah. I, think we're, I, think, I think when you, you know, when Erdogan uh, makes an official state visit to Russia in, with, in order to divide up uh, military zones in Syria, I, I I view that as, you know, he's broken up with us. I mean, that's like, you know, 
Yeah, he's already full. He's already fooling around. Well, he's more than fooling around. He's, you know, he's got most of his everyday clothes out of the house. Might have left a tuxedo or two, but um, he's pretty well moved out. But that's a different that's a different subject. You know, my point and I I don't know whether I've made it clear because I've kind of covered the the base here with a blanket. My point is that since 1991, the Kurds have been able to rely on us. They've been allies. They've taken, the reason that we, God forbid, only lost four people in our activities in Syria, um, one of them being uh, a wife of a farmer Green Beret who was um, honored, her service was honored recently, an event McRaven talks about in his um op-ed in the New York Times. And you got you to gotta look at this man who is left with a toddler who will grow up with no or very little real memory, uh, you know, firsthand memory of his mother. And you got to ask for what? For what? She thought she was in harm's way to protect um, the good guys. And and now, and she's gone, and now we're gone, and now the good guys have no protection. This will not be, and, and the problem is, you know, Vince, you know this as well as I do. If you, if, if you do this to an ally, if, if you abandon them to artillery fire and strafing and, you know, bombing by jets that were made in the United States of America— you know, they fly F-16 jets, the, the Turks. I mean, how do we ever repair that damage? How do we restore trust among any of our allies in the Middle East? And how vulnerable those self-determinant democracies, and there, count them, one, maybe one and a half, to Iraq now being sort of. How are they going to protect themselves? How can they trust us? And, you know, if we have to go back in, if we have to go back in, it will cost American lives. It just doesn't make any sense for anybody except Putin. And, oh, by the way, that's what Nancy Pelosi said to Donald Trump, and he called her, a third-grade politician as a result. Frankly, I think if you count up the number of times in the Ukraine, who's winning? Russia. In Syria, who's winning? Russia. In the greater Middle East, where Russia had zero presence three years ago, Russia now has presence in Saudi Arabia, in the Emirates, uh, among the... um, Uh, several other groups, they now have a warm water port on the Mediterranean as a result of their incursion in Syria. And ladies and gentlemen, those two oceans that surround us do not protect us. And who is breaking the embargo, the sanctions against North Korea that are supposed to bring them to the negotiating table? Well, even more than China, Russia, Because Russia's only game 
is to meddle and disrupt. And on that note, um, I'm going to leave this conversation with uh, the thought that, you know, I still believe that we are the good guys and that we will find a way to make, to protect our Turkish allies. We lost four people in the conflict in bringing ISIS out of, out of Syria. They lost 11,000. They did the fighting for us. We owe them. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with just a few closing thoughts. Um, I, I hope you found this discussion, monologue really, about Syria interesting um, and that it's a bit thought-provoking uh, because we can't just stand by and watch this happen. And, and it's a defining moment for um, us as a people um, the question is, are we still the good guys? In the meantime, if you want to learn more about some of what we've talked about today or listen to a podcast of this program, go to ricochet.com or reimagineamerica.org and click on the radio button at the top of the homepage. Next week, I don't know, um, events seem to overtake my editorial uh, list. But I'd rather talk about some of the issues that surround climate change or race relations in this country, which have become an issue in, that affects our politics um, in ways it didn't in the past. Um, or maybe we need to talk about H.R. 3, the prescription drug price plan that is close to being passed out of the House of Representatives. Um, and, and I think we need some expert advice about how to feel about that, about that particular uh, piece of legislation because it, it sounds, frankly, too good to be true. But, you know, if you have questions or topics you want to get asked or answered on the air, send me an email at joyce at reimagineamerica.org. In addition to reimagineamerica.org, you can find us at reimagine-america on Facebook or Joyce Cordy on Twitter or reimagine America radio uh, that's another handle at Twitter reimagine America is independent and nonprofit if you appreciate our independent results oriented post political voice please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org and on that note, I wish you a lovely Sunday, an, odd, an autumn day, um, and we'll talk again soon.
subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word, and you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.